Welcome to episode 245 of the Win Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Oh, that was what? That was <laughs> auditioning for Batman or something. I don't, I really don't know what that was. Anyway, the last time we spoke to you all, I guess spoke to you, we spoke with each other, but really for all of you and um, was on the eve of preseason we were looking to what was ahead our plan was to come in and at the halfway point of preseason after the Timberwolves game talk about the two games we had seen except with something of a plot twist no one was able to see that game more on that later so we said we'd hold off a little bit until we had in fact seen two games until three games had been played and so here we are. We come to you now with the books holding a record of two and one in the preseason so far. Wins over the Chicago Bulls, Minnesota Timberwolves, and most recently an overtime loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder. That one does come with a pretty major caveat as um, pretty much anyone who can play basketball on the roster didn't suit up and play on Tuesday night. So, you know, take that for what you will. But overall, I think a pretty promising start to the Mike Budenholzer era. A lot of interesting things. What has been your leading takeaway from preseason so far, Jordan? Or what is really standing out to you when you watch the non-Jason Kidd Joe Prunty books? Which, we're saying, that is something we're doing for the first time in the history of this podcast. This is the first time ever... We're actually talking about basketball played by non-Jason Kidd, Joe Prunty Books, in 245 episodes of Winning Six. When it's put like that, it sounds very grim. But here we are. Let's move on <laughs> to that more positive, optimistic era. What is jumping out to you so far? The threes. The spacing. The delight. On everybody's face. Yeah, it's very fun to see the Bucks embrace um, offensive uh modern offensive principles philosophies sensibilities whatever a word you want to call it um it's fun it's not even just the threes there's the well we didn't see it we saw it occasionally last night with the thunder game but the motion the off ball movement the passing like, like there's just there's just a very uh more pleasing uh feeling coming from just watching the bucks look like
other NBA teams run the league offensively. Um, you don't want it to, you know, it just, it's a, <laughs> what we talked about before and what people have been shouting from the rooftops and windows and mountaintops and whatever high peak <laughs> topography. Um, it's, it's finally here and we're seeing it and it's very, very, it's just reassuring. It's comforting. I don't know what else to say. Everybody's being to, to death already. And the season <laughs> hasn't even started, but it's, it's so, I don't know. We've been, it's, it's been a long time coming and it's a uh, good to see. Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with a very small sample size, but so is everyone else, so let's compare them. Um, the books are seventh among all NBA teams at the moment in terms of three-point attempts per game, 37.7, which is, I believe, 1.7 more than their single-game high last season. I believe was 36, so they're mm-hmm. averaging close to two trees more per game than their most prolific game in that front last season. And to go with that, they are actually eight among NBA teams in three-point percentage. They've knocked down 36.3% of their looks from deep at the moment. So not only are they firing away, but that would indicate they are creating high-quality looks, and they have the shooters capable of knocking them down. It definitely has been the, the standout. I mean... Um, one of the challenges, or maybe one of the slight disappointments with, with this, when we come to talk and kind of look at the preseason in a a much larger sense, is that barring a spectacular finale against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Friday, when I mean I might be the only person watching because I think the Brewers game starts at the exact same time. But barring something spectacular from the books on that occasion, it will feel like the best of their preseason outings anyway came at the very beginning against the Bulls and they were spectacular in that game but there is also the element of they were playing the Bulls so getting a handle on that is tricky but it was most apparent there and it has continued to at least be visible how they're working for shots how they're moving off the ball I mean there were some real um really beautiful possessions that maybe we would see two or three times a year in recent seasons that all of a sudden we were seeing two or three times a game. And there's a real sense that that could happen even more often. There's a there's a real clear intent, a desire to move the ball. And I think that's important because the players very much seem to be buying into everything related to Budenholzer's philosophies and the systems right now. Um, they seem reinvigorated in a lot of ways, certainly re-energized. Um, that might have something to do with a lot of the the rest they're getting wasn't a popular concept with the previous regime but we're already seeing the signs and positive signs at that of the books being modernized and that is interesting the defense is interesting to me because i don't know if i've got a firm handle on it yet i don't know at what point in the year we'll really have that um i think it's better already i would guess we'll see when very soon regular season games start up and we'll see how it holds up. But it seems to be maybe some of the same general issues could present themselves, but it at least feels like common sense is being applied more by players. Players are have a better idea of what they should do and when they shouldn't do certain things. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, at a at the bare minimum, that's a great starting point for this team compared to what they've ended up doing in the last couple of seasons. And I mean, along the way, we've seen interesting glimpses of things that have come and gone. And the question is, okay, well, will they return? Will they become key features? Were they one-offs? Um, the Bulls game, uh, another element where the Bucks thrive on that is rebounding. They had 64 rebounds. Um, I wrote a little bit about that, but it was a very different style and approach to rebounding too. There were a lot of rebounds for backcourt players, really utilizing Brook Lopez, I'd guess, in particular, his strength being to help boxing out. And I mean, sure, that is playing a big factor in it. That game is skewing the numbers. The Bucks are fourth in rebounds per game for the preseason, though. 52.3 boards per game. And, you know, just behind the Thunder, who have 53 per game as the leaders, they actually held their own relatively well. 57-48 in Oklahoma City's favor. It was on Tuesday night. And considering the Bucks were playing without their best rebounder, Giannis, and other players who have been chipping in um, pretty notably in that area in the previous two games, that was good going because... Um, the Thunder weren't really depleted in the rebounding department. I mean, they had Stephen Adams there certainly doing the equivalent to, to Brooke Lopez, and they had a lot of kind of solid forwards and bigs off the bench. I think Thurlands Noel had 14 rebounds. Um, so that is an interesting thing that may just turn out to be an anomaly, or it could be something where, hey, there's a different approach, and it could lead, positive, lead to positive results in another area where the books have been awful. Um, fouls is something else worth monitoring at the moment the books are fourth among NBA teams in terms of the least amount of fouls allowed per game that is a real emphasis but is sticking with a hands high philosophy which was also present under the previous regime and I think makes a lot of sense when you have this length um, but considering one of the big problems Maybe it's a distinction that we should have heard more about under Kid was the books would go through these spells where they just fell relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And that often included their best players then having to sit and things could fall apart from there. Well, the focus is hands high, but don't fell. So being among the teams giving up the least personal fouls per game at the moment, that's encouraging. And um, they have had some games, the Timberwolves game was one that kind of threw that off balance even more, but that was a pretty, I mean, I believe Jordan, I believe, and who knows if I should believe something I can't see, but I believe that was a game where the refs were pretty whistle happy. Um, So maybe that's something that could be considered too. But overall there's, I think the most exciting thing, I haven't exactly been enamored with the games themselves. Haven't been that great. It is preseason after all. Um, it's nice that preseason basketball is back and it is nice that they shortened it two years ago when they did because we're already at a point now where I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't need that much more preseason basketball. And luckily we're a week away from the books actually starting the regular season off. But what's exciting is there is clear evidence of it being a different team, you know, to begin with all the kind of core principles are different. Um, even things that could be their strengths could be their weaknesses. They are different, and having seen a coach rigidly stick to something that wasn't working for so long, the fact that there's change, the fact that they 
are trying something and they're going to work with an approach that i mean logically and in terms of the shape of the the modern nba would seem a lot more likely to be successful as encouraging in the first place but i think for players i think these guys just need to change a lot of them um a different voice clearly um I mean, there's no reading between the lines that needs to be done. We could do a daily podcast where we just pop up to kind of talk about what player X <laughs> owner Y has said today that could be, you know, viewed as a shot at the previous coaching regime and their methods. So the players very much seem to be reveling in the change. And I thought it was particularly interesting in the Thunder game they all looked really happy. I mean, the guys who weren't playing, they looked really involved and invested too. And I'm not going to hashtag name names, but there were certain players who that definitely wasn't the case for last year, who seemed to be fitting in with the group and enjoying themselves a lot more. And that may be in their interest in terms of possibly, you know, seeing that translate to the court. But there is this overall sense for me that, oh, look, things are looking up. Things are looking up in terms of the style of play, in terms of the fundamentals of what they're doing. But it also actually feels like they're looking up in terms of chemistry and atmosphere. You agree? I agree. I, I mean, I think that's everything beyond just like the noticeable offensive overhauling. There is just a sense of, you know, the directness of everybody knowing what <laughs> what what their role is in systems and principles and just like the purposeness or pur- purposefulness? purposefulness. Yes, purposefulness. Yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> of just of there being just something there for everybody to kind of gleam off of. Because that was just what, you know, Really, when the Bucks were at their worst throughout many periods of last season, it was just this aimlessness and just kind of like I that's the thing is like where you see like take last night for example, like there was things where the ball would stick to players a little too much and just things would get a little bogged down, and that's to be ex- to be expected when you're without like your personnel your driven as much as everything. Yeah, exactly. But we saw that last year where you got, you had everybody like your best players, your stars, whatever you want to call it available. And you could just see them kind of like when they would be countered out after, you know, their like one thing of like trying to do it, they were just kind of freelance and try to find, find whatever way of capable or trying to like score or defend whatever you want to call it, like whatever possession it would be. And it would, that's what it would just kind of dilute to like here, like again, it's early going, it's preseason, all these caveats we have to put out there right now, but there's just something reassuring that it, it, <laughs> the bucks aren't, they're trying to correct these mindful or these habits that have were long preached or, you know, unhabits or what, not non habits that they had throughout, throughout all the kids tenure that is a, uh, I know that was just getting so tiring after a very, very long time. Yeah, I agree. And I think the, the thing with that and what we've seen so far, it's clear that, you know, this isn't a rigidly dictated offensive scheme. 
It's the opposite, but is giving the players the freedom to do what they want. The key difference between what that amounts to and what last year's offense amounts to is you can do that if guys know where they should be. And that's the idea between having these kind of spacing spots and spacing zones that he wants filled at all times. And that's what creates player movement. And that's what creates space then. So that at a minimum, you know, if things bug down and you didn't get the ball moving, you should have more space to drive into. But you're also creating less excuse for the ball not to move because guys are in optimal positions for you to do that. And if you can draw any defender, well, you will have a really clean angle for an open pass or to set up an open shooter. That is the key difference. And I think that's already showing. And they should only get better with that. Um, I am... I would have liked just for the sake of, you know, having to watch it if the Thunder game, even with the reserves, was somewhat free flowing, resembling the first game. Mm. Or if the reports from Iowa indicated that that game saw the books play in a similar fashion. At the same time, I am somewhat reassured by the fact that they haven't just completely look like it's clicked into place because i don't think that would be natural i don't think that would make sense i do no. think this is going to be gradual and the fact that that's the case means even what like we were all blown away by in that bulls game considering what books fans have had to watch for a couple of years you know that's not even it there is better to come here this is still a work in progress and there's significant room for improvement so this just shouldn't be a good team that this could go on to be a great team at some point. And look, that's really what it's about. Um, let's narrow the focus in a little bit. Let's talk about players. And, I mean, we don't need to say, oh, yeah, that Giannis guys looked pretty good in preseason. That's, that's unnecessary. But out of the rest of the cast, I mean, okay, if there is, I think Bledsoe maybe is worth note because I think Bledsoe has looked quite good. Um, and considering how his season finished up, well, that is noteworthy. But generally, out of the rest of the roster, out of the supporting cast, out of the guys who are fighting to make the supporting cast, who's impressed you or who's stood out? Or what do you even just like the glimpses you're seeing so far? If it's not fully realized that you like the general sense of their play. I feel like I know the first name because you're grinning and... If it's the case, this name it would be on my list too, but I'll I'll let you go for it, Jordan. Um, well, we have to start with uh as of Tuesday, so without discounting last night's game, the preseason PER leader, John Henson. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. Uh but Henson has looked encouraging. I mean, I think he is He looked great against the Bulls. Yeah, great against the Bulls, hit a three even though that game was not televised against the Wolves. Um, I didn't know I think that. He had a three. Yeah, he had a three. How can – did that really happen? Come on, Exactly. Jordan. We don't know. Footage not found. Footage not found. Anyway. John Henson hits a tree in Iowa, and no one really sees it. Did it even happen? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think Brooke Lopez has been solid. I mean, obviously, his the Bulls game, he didn't can a three, can a triple. But uh, he had a couple impressive dunks, especially one over Jabari Parker. Um, Iowa game, again, we couldn't see, but he 
that's where his threes came from. I don't know. I, I think there's just uh, it's such a weird because that IO game just sticks out so much that you can't. We're like, yeah, he, the boxer said he did well, so I, he must have done well. I don't know. There's just something. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's obviously natural to gravitate towards the players duking it out for the final roster spot. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to them. We'll get to them pretty soon. I mean, the thing with the Iowa game is. Tony Snell looks to have played well, according to the box score, but we didn't see it. And every time we see it, he doesn't play well. Is the solution to get Tony Snell right again that we stop televising games? Yeah, possibly. Maybe. Um, the person that I really thought... It goes hand-in-hand with his technology. Views <laughs> on technology. True. That's true. If we could just leave all electronic devices out of the building, Tony Snell could look like peak Michael Jordan. Um... <laughs> The player that I thought you'd bring up, and I have been oh, impressed, okay. is your friend Planet Pat. Uh, I'm not so impressed with his new haircut, and we'll get that later, because I think there was like three people who mentioned his hair in the mailbag today. Pat Connaughton's hair is the subject of much discussion. Boy band what sort of boy bands, I mean, have you seen? I was going to say recently, Early but 2000. ever. No, I mean they would go the whole way Get with that, that. sun in. I I did that. I did a sun. You in. did that. Oh yeah. I cannot. I cannot believe this. I was following the trend like a surfboard. But did hang you not go hang. the whole way? <laughs> I yeah. I bleached my hair. Was right. <laughs> I was like ten years old. Right. That's you know you gotta either you gotta commit to the bit. You appreciate that. Commit to the bit. You either bleach it back on it or you just uh, leave it dark. We don't need this little, you know. Ah, who knows? Anyway, outside of Pat Connaughton, it's it is an interesting mix because I think most of the other role players have had their ups and downs, and really, it's the training camp guys who've been given the most room to showcase what they can do. And um, was interesting. It was noted on the the broadcast of Fox Sports Wisconsin on Tuesday night that Bud has made it clear, you know, the games aren't really what's deciding his thinking. Gotta think they're influencing it, though, in a pretty significant way, and he is certainly using them to take a look at all of those guys. Uh, Shabazz Muhammad maybe is the only player who hasn't got quite as much run, but yet he played 30 minutes against the Thunder. Um, Christian Woods had plenty of opportunity. Tyler Zeller got great opportunity against the Thunder as well. And Tim Frazier's kind of been pretty steady throughout, interestingly enough. And um, probably helped somewhat by Matthew Delvadova's couple of DMPs. They were coaches' decisions, though. So maybe part of that, again, is wanting to take a proper look at Tim Frazier. Let's start with Christian Wood, because that's what everyone wants to talk about. Jordan, I've got I've got a... I think, I think people will at least... Take. <laughs> I think people <laughs> this is a hot take, or I don't really think it is. I can see the appeal of Christian Wood very clearly, the potential, you know, it's very obvious. I can also see all of the reasons why it hasn't worked for him yet, and all of the question marks that hang over him. And I don't know how I feel. The numbers look good. 
Um, but it feels like I think a lot of people wanted Christian Wood to be the guy coming out of this battle and have maybe said, oh, look, 19 and 15. How can you not take that guy? Um, fouls are an issue. Um, he is very much foul happy. Turnovers in that Bulls game, I believe he traveled three times. Just really mindless travels, which weren't great. He blows very hot and cold. I mean, that was crystal clear in the Thunder game where he turned it on late and all of a sudden, you know, he was key to fueling this book's comeback. But it was pretty anonymous. Anonymous. I think that came out wrong. Anonymous for the first three quarters of that game. Had some moments, but wasn't. I would say two and a half. Because that, that, that might be fair. It's really, it is the latter part of the game where he came into it. Yeah. Um look, he's he's good. He's got great physical tools. I do think he has ability. I just would still have questions, particularly when we consider what his role likely would be. That's the that's the thing that we talked about last time that is kind of sticking out to me. Is that he's playing safer like closing lineups last night where they're trying to, you know got it out for a win and stuff like that. He's mostly playing as a four. And that just doesn't really, I don't feel, I don't like that really well, at all. Look, that's never going to happen in, yeah, because in any meaningful game, Giannis is going to play 35 minutes, like minimum. And that's even with his minutes being managed better. You know, I, I just think, Bud is going to, I think Henson and particularly Henson showing some positive signs in preseason. And I even think Henson attempting three pointers. He's doing all of the right things from that coaching staff's point of view. That's what it mm-hmm. looks like from the outside right now. And this is a team with lots of young players, a team serious about winning. Henson is experienced. Um, he, by all accounts, seems to be a really good locker room guy, good chemistry guy. I think he's going to be the backup center. Um, oh, without a doubt. So you're coming down to how many minutes per game does your third string center get? And then would that even be Christian Wood? And honestly, would people even want that to be Christian Wood? I I, I am struggling with this one a little because I think there's part of the idea is he's a good player. Yeah, he's got some sort of potential. Maybe he could be a swingy take who works out really, really well, and you find something else. And I understand the reasons for doing that. Could also really easily be a wasted roster spot. And I don't just mean that in terms of not panning out. I mean that you just don't have the opportunity. Or what if he doesn't pan out and you give him some opportunity and it somewhat amounts to you giving up on Tom Maker? I mean, I don't know. I'd kind of... I'd kind of rather see all the eggs in the ton basket this year and say, okay, we're getting to the point where he's got to figure it out and we need to know, which we really are with Ton. And the flashes are there, which is more than can be said for other players who may be in that situation. So we know he can do it. It's just, well, can he ever do it consistently? What way can it work from? Do we want that opportunity eaten into by Christian Wood? And I mean, of course, the other questions here are... You know, and the biggest question marks, arguably the things that have kept him out of the NBA up to this point, our attitude, our f- is 
our attitude, focus, and discipline, right? They're all things that over a longer span of time we'll see. And, you know, when you're playing four games a week, they get tested even more. I I get the appeal. I just don't see the... I don't have the compulsion to say he has to be the guy, even when he's putting up good numbers. Because I'm seeing all of the mistakes. I'm seeing all the potential pitfalls. And I think the fit is a struggle. It's just really... He is the youngest of the group of players fighting for a spot. He may have untapped potential. And wouldn't it be nice to be the team to figure that out? I mean, the answer to that is 100%. The next question, though, has to be, are the books best placed to figure that out? I mean, it feels like that's the kind of move if he was on the Hawks training camp roster in this situation. And they had plenty of bigs. I mean, they don't care, you know? Okay, we've plenty of bigs. He may be the best of them. Let's sign him because we're just about finding whatever we can, however we can. That would be a really great bonus for the books, particularly with the way they're squandering their draft picks. Um, But I don't know if it's more important than getting a really capable contributor who could be called upon and may just have a more obvious and consistent role in the rotation from night to night. I'm finding the whole who should get the final training camp spot, or the final roster spot, very difficult in this year's training camp battle compared to other years. I just think, sure, I there's very obvious and understandable appeal for Wood. I'd be lying if I said all the reasons why it hasn't worked haven't been on display, even in his good performances, though. And it's worth saying, even though this hasn't necessarily been NBA competition, for example, a lot of the guys he played against um, in some of these games, and particularly with him being a second unit guy for large spells, but, you know, they're in a similar position to him. Yet there has been a difference, as you'd expect, between Summer League Christian Wood and NBA Christian Wood. This is different it's it's a real challenge for me i'm not i'm not completely sold and i think it feels like 99 percent of books twitter um is currently sold on christian wood where are you at do you do you first of all if you were to make a call right now would it be christian wood for what? what? No, I was gonna say for pizza, Jordan. For pizza? Um, He's a good. He could toss a dough. He's good at tossing. Dough. Those long arms could really stretch the dough out. Is that? Yeah. Very big pizza, twenty incher. Um, I don't know. I I definitely. I unsurprisingly, I come in the middle. I'm I'm gonna be on the fence because there are. Things like he is very capable of doing. He has like Giannis like things where he can. He's very good with the ball in his hands. He can really, you know, he tactic a closeout last night, pump fake for a three and kind of put it home as a dunk or good layup, whatever it was. He has these kind of flashes of like, okay, I see the player like a rotation player in him, but there's other like you know other kind of effort or. I think even that ties into, though, what you were saying, what you let off with, which is him playing the four makes you uncomfortable, right? (laughs) The idea of him getting minutes at the four doesn't seem perfect. It's that ability to kind of attack closeouts like that is kind of in the four skill range. Yet 
he is center sized and I think his hands don't seem to be very good for more traditional center things. You know, a lot of those turnovers, if you fire a pass into Christian Wood, don't know if you're going to hang on to the ball. That sort of thing is a challenge. And I think maybe that is why they're seeing him at the four, because skill-wise, he has skills when you give him... I feel like I'd be demeaning centers to say, would you give him basketball things to do? But when you let him play a little... You can see the guy he is, the player he is. At the end of the day, he's 6'11", and he isn't Giannis. You know, he's not anywhere near that level, obviously. So why would you want him playing like that, you know? There's going to be a better suited person to doing it. I mean, within the flow of the game, is it useful to have? Sure. But I'm, I'm just really struggling with what the utility is for the books of bringing Christian Wood in, having him be the 15th guy. I think maybe that is part of why um, like Keith Smith of Real GM has been tweeting about, you know, the books are looking to basically suggesting they're looking to keep multiple of the training camp guys, whether it's true waving someone, which would be DJ um, with the way salaries work out or finding a trade, whatever it may be. Like part of why they may be looking to do that is because they just don't want to be the team to have had Christian Wood at this point, see him turn out and have lost him. Yet that would also suggest they know he's not really the right guy to add to the roster right now to help this team this year. And I don't know if that would be trying to be too clever with, you know, balancing those two things because have they room to balance those two things? Maybe they do if DJ Wilson is gone and they've won less development project than he slots into that role. But that's still tricky. And I mean, I think most book fans will immediately answer this with, you know, in Wood's favor. But is it a guarantee that giving up on DJ Wilson now when he's only had one NBA season under Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty rather than seeing just what happens with Bud and company, is it guaranteed that giving up on him in, in exchange for Wood is a better deal? I don't know. It's more interesting. It's easier to yeah. see the potential again because everyone has soured on DJ Wilson. But I don't know if the end result actually ends up better. I mean, being very pragmatic, the likelihood with both players is that neither of them end up being anything in the NBA. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's just the perception of it where you draft DJ with the 17th overall pick and a lot of people kind of scratch their head and didn't know who he was when the Bucks picked him. So his perception and, you know, the fact that he played, what, 72 minutes and played mostly with the herd last year, all this stuff, every flash of him has come through G League or Summer League where he's gotten his extended opportunities. And then versus a guy like Christian Wood who's bounced around the league, played showdown in the G League, but has these kind of, you know, red flags associated with him since going undrafted. The perception of it can easily change where if, say, if Christian Wood makes a roster in some shape or form, we're going to have another, we're going to have a more critical eye in terms of either wanting him to play and then him not, you know, showing out or showing well compared to, you know, preseason or summer league uh settings 
or he doesn't play at all, and everybody's gonna be like, "Where's Christian Wood? Where's Christian Wood?" And he might play more with the herd than he does with the Bucks this year. I don't like. I just think it's. I don't think. Again, last year was such a we clambered over like, well, what, who's gonna fill out this roster? Who's gonna fill out this roster? And all of a sudden, it's DeAndre Liggins, and you know, it's like I just, I, it's just hard to get really investment invested in it because it's not really a clean fit in how he's being used currently. Right. But I, I think part of that is uh, like part of my feeling on this is they could sign wood and be interested in the potential. And the reality of it is if say they get a bad injury to a wing in January in February, um, a guard, whatever it may be, it's bye bye Christian wood. He'd be the guy <laughs> cut to bring someone else in, Yep, you know, which I mean, look, that's not uncommon for whoever is the last man to make it onto a roster at a training camp. But to build it up in the way that it's built up, I think in a lot of people's imagination and the idea of what Wood can be, I mean, with the role that's there, he's going to be the most dispensable book. I think it's pretty simple. Yeah. Because there's no, you know, the thing with DJ and even in that discussion from... From a front office point of view, if you sign Christian Wood and you waive Christian Wood three months from now, job well done. You took a flyer on a high potential guy. You were looking at creative ways to improve your roster. Well done, John Horst. If you waive TJ Wilson before his second season starts, you're admitting and owning an incredibly bad first round pick. Like, whether one of those things should happen or shouldn't happen, I think the likelihood of them happening is maybe a little less because that isn't just optics. That is something that gets held against someone further down the line. Um, Maybe it takes multiple cases of that. But, for example, Ryan McDonough got fired this week. What happens when Ryan McDonough gets fired? People go through his draft history, right? Yep. So... John Horst has had two drafts. He has DJ Wilson, who there is talk. I'm not saying it's like at the highest level of, you know, the the leading NBA sources, but there are whispers that he could be a candidate for being waived if they feel the need to keep two of the guys battling for a spot. That's one of his picks. The other is Dante, who we probably should have talked about maybe before we got into this. We'll get to him later, maybe. Um, but <laughs> shooting is an issue right now. And he was drafted for shooting. And that just having to say those two sentences, one after the other, brings terrible flashbacks for me. Uh, because well, it's, not it's, just, it's not even just the horse tenure. I mean, you're ta- we can extend it out. No, since... it, but it, it yeah. is in this case because this is horse making the decision. And what he has to show from his draft picks going into his third season, just move it forward to next year. And of course the books may not have a first round draft pick next year, but bring it to that point. And if say Dante really struggles this year and DJ's already gone off the roster, well, that's one pretty significant area of responsibility for him as a GM where the finger will be pointed and it'll be said, okay, you know, you're basically over two here. And John Horst is not in the job all that long. If something goes wrong, though, he's he's first in line for Fall Guy. 
Bud is not Bud is here for the next few years. If things go bad with Bud this year, you know, there's a period of adjustment. The books were so broken to begin with that this is going to take some time. They're committed to the project. They believe him as a coach. His principles are what the books need to be, right? If things go badly, the players aren't going to be blamed. The role players might be at the back end of the roster and they may be pushed out, but Giannis is safe. Middleton is likely safe. Even someone like Bledsoe, I mean, sure, Middleton, Bledsoe, Brogdon, they could all be gone next year if that's the case, but I don't think the blame is going to be pinned on them. Who is the easiest figure and probably the most dispensable figure? It's John Horst. So, and you're not mentioning the who knows how directly or indirectly this plays in, but the the change in governorship, and we know how. Uh, I don't. I'm not mentioning that because I don't want to get my head in that space and into yeah. thinking about that right now slash ever again. <laughs> Hope hopefully it's never something we have to talk about or reports come out that leads to that. Um, I'm, look, I'm, when I'm saying that, the point I'm making isn't to say, oh, John Horst is under pressure to save his job. I'm saying if you're John Horst, DJ Wilson and giving up on him isn't just, yeah, I don't think he works. Let's give Christian Wood a shot. It's tied to something much bigger that could ultimately be used against you in a very, very serious way. So I don't think that decision is even that easy. I would be very surprised if he follows through and just waves DJ Wilson, I would be impressed in some ways, alarmed in other ways, but I, I, I do think it would be surprising because that is so tied to his still relatively short tenure. I mean, if it's going to be okay, what has John Horst done? Well, he gave Tony Snell the big extension <laughs> at the moment. Isn't looking so hot. Um, he drafted DJ Wilson, he's drafted Dante. We'll see how that turns out. Um, there are plenty of people, and I'll say it straight away, I'm not really among them who are very unhappy with the Urson deal. The Brook Lopez one is something certainly no one could have any issues with. But you know what I'm saying? And that like DJ and DJ's future with the team is so tied up in so many other things that I think that whole discussion is interesting that it's arising. But it feels like you've got to have a really strong reason. Like this player can give us this. And Christian Wood would be just a gamble. And if it's a gamble that fails, again, from Horst's perspective, what if DJ Wilson just needed a real NBA coach and you wave him or you trade him to another team for nothing and he becomes somewhat capable and Christian Wood's gone in three months? You know, these are the stakes a GM is playing with, but there's kind of really putting yourself out there to, to take the bullet. And then there's... The other way of doing things. Now, putting yourself out to take the bullet, maybe what's best for the books? Do people always act in the interests of what's best for their organization rather than themselves, Jordan? I would say no, and I'm not talking about individuals. I'm just talking as a general human nature thing. Um, we'll move on from that onto some of the other guys. I think the player I've actually been most impressed with is Tim Frazier. To me, he has slotted in in doing exactly what I would have expected him to do, but he just kind of feels like he's seamlessly a part of the team, a part of the team unit. Um, he is 
playmaking very tidily, very efficiently, as you would expect. He takes care of the ball. He finds teammates with good, incisive passes. Very much fits a bud system. And, and this is kind of, I mean, equally intriguing to where people talk about Christian Wood and the potential. If Tim Frazier could become a good three-point shooter, he's a hell of a player. You know, if you if you can help him and you can figure out his shots so that he's a 38% three-point shooter who can, you know, have an assist-to-turnover ratio of nearly three to one, of, of over three to one, as we touched on, I think, in our last episode for his last two seasons, you know, that is really valuable. And with, I think, how most people feel about Matthew Delvadova and how Delhi's health has been in recent years... And if Brogdon is the starting shooting guard and Tony Snell isn't looking that great from the bench, are the books actually short on point guard depth? I mean, I think they have lots of options to cover it. Dante, I know, was one you brought up on this when we talked about it before, but I don't know. There is something about Tim Frazier's game that has impressed me. I mean, he had five assists to two turnovers against the Thunder. Was in 19 minutes, he scored 14 points, 5A from the field, 4 of 5 from deep. Um, I mean, I could just discard these and pretend they didn't happen because I have no evidence. But against the Timberwolves, he was seemingly 1 of 5 from the field, 0 of 2 from deep, 2 points, 5 assists to 1 turnover again, though. And against the Bulls in 15 minutes, 1 of 1 from the field, that was a 3-pointer, 6 assists to 1 turnover. Like, that's all very solid and I think very obviously useful. And I can I can pave a clear path for minutes for him if he makes the roster. Um, he may be the first point guard off the bench. That simple. Particularly if Snell isn't performing at a level that we really would like and the books need to see him play at because that means maybe Brogdon doesn't have the time to play point guard like he used to. Can you see that, or what are your thoughts on Frazier so far? I think, well, I first of all, I agree with you. I, I was kind of, I would say, lukewarm on Tim Frazier as we when we first talked about him, but obviously last night his kind of heroics was pretty cool to see. But he's been really stable in terms of just kind of directing, doing doing point point guard things. It's not a you know game change or anything like that but for a third point guard on the roster because as you mentioned with brogdon being slotted in the in the starting lineup who knows what kind of role he'll be in terms of like leading bench bench unit heavy lineups or whatever like how, what we saw from him last year having a guy like tim frazier who is capable and surely you know he's not the greatest three-point shooter so he'll regress in that sense but Having a guy you can depend on for, I don't know, at most like 10 minutes a game or just little spells here and there, say if Del Vadova, and obviously his, you know, I think I saw that he was left patellar tendonitis, which he dealt with last year too. Delhi's not the most durable guy. And I mean, that coming after a summer where he's, I mean, he's been vocal about he worked extensively on his lower body strength to try and combat that. I mean, ooh, I is it that, you know, it is just an issue, even if he builds up that strength, is it that he's 
the toll of that summer work is already there on him heading into the season. Yeah, I don't know. And then, I mean, of course, like with Ellie on the court, we've got to talk about, well, how he's shot the last couple of years, how he's played generally as a book. I mean, it's funny, but if Tim Frazier could make trees, you're talking about a guy with a kind of steady playmaking head, great assist to turnover ratio, efficient playmaker who could knock down a shot. That's what the books wanted in Delhi. That's what they thought they were getting in Delhi. Except he's younger and so, so much cheaper. Is he younger? I don't think he's younger. I think he's actually older. Older than Delhi. I think he's like 28. I, think, I, th- I thought he was 27 and Delhi was 28. But maybe you're right. 27. So maybe they're roughly like the same. Delhi's like 28. Delhi's 28. He's younger and cheaper. I stand by my point, Jordan. Never mind. I stand corrected. I also want to include uh, 21 net rating for Tim Fraser this preseason. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the players who are ahead of him, Ursa, um, who has played 11.4 minutes and posted a 73.3 net rating for all you Ursa and contract doubters. Um, but other than that, players who have played meaningful minutes, you're talking the book's four best players, four of their five best players, Chris Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, and then Tim Frazier. I, I think he looked really impressive. And um, even something like, obviously, hitting the big shots as he did to get the game to overtime. But also, yeah, I mean, before, not just the final shot of the game, he'd made some pretty impressive trees down the stretch to get it there. So, you know, you've got my attention, Tim Frazier, is basically what I'm saying. I well, you should have said I'm listening. That's a Fraser callback. Come on. Yeah, if he makes the roster, we'll be much more well practiced on that front. Um Shabazz. <laughs> I don't know if that was a question or a statement. Yeah. Um He locked at DMP against the Timberwolves, which who knows how to take that. He has been very active, very energetic, which are the staples. He, I thought, looked really good against the Bulls. He only got seven minutes, which I think was about as... was as little as anyone outside of Jalen Morris. So anyone who's really fighting for a full roster spot, it was the least minutes anyone got. He scored six points and grabbed four rebounds and two of three shooting in that time. Pretty good. And he had a really great block. Um... Then logged the DMP after that. So, I mean, I don't know what we take from that. And in a more extended role, fitting up to the Shabazz narrative, if you give Shabazz a long leash, things don't quite look so good. Shabazz doesn't come back, Jordan. Um, I don't know. I, I think one way or another, there's a chance the coaching staff have made their mind up on him. I don't know. I've just seen so many spinning Shabazz lefty shots. I mean, it was really apparent last night. He had a really, he picked, when he came back into the game in the fourth quarter, he had a, or was that actually the start of overtime? He had a really pretty hook. Um, yeah. I mean, it was super smooth. Now I'm just choosing to ignore the previous <laughs> one didn't go in, but that one was really, it was as smooth as can be. The thing of beauty, Jordan. He's, he's fairly limited to the uh, Southpaw. What, Shabazz Southpaw. 
<laughs> well, I mean, the one thing I would say that's worrying, and it was one of the reasons why he was a positive last year, was he shot 37.5% from deep from the corners. I can remember him airballing at least two corner trees in preseason so far. They might be... No, I must be wrong, because he's only t- attempted one. That feels wrong. Um, well, he certainly airballed that one. If he's taken one, he airballed it, and it was from the corner. That was going to be his focus for the offseason. That was his big thing on exit interview day that he talked up, that he was looking to develop because the books needed that. This was before Bud even came in. Um, Shabazz was dissecting exactly what went wrong for the books against the Celtics, that you know they were too reliant on driving. They need to be able to knock down those trees. He was going to fix that for his game, look to bring it back this year. And then if the numbers I'm reading are correct, he is 0 for 1 with an airball corner tree in 37 minutes, which when we consider the attempt rate for three-pointers for the books as a whole, one three-point attempt from a wing in 37 minutes is not exactly in line with that. So, yeah, I don't know. I still... I still do believe there is there is a use for him. I mean, we touched on this before, but just his position, his size, I'm not talking about, you know, his size because obviously Christian Wood has greater size, but I'm talking about the parameters his size falls within make him have a better shot than some of the others. And if the others jump past him, well, that's to their credit because adding another forward is maybe the most logical thing to do with this roster, considering the books may be short on small forwards, power forwards, and it maximizes the team's versatility overall. So I don't know. He might be a guy who Friday night could be important for him. I mean, we're being told to not put that much stock on single games or how players perform in games or how this decision will be made, but Baz might need something. Tyler Zeller, Jordan, we didn't see a whole lot of him. We saw 10 minutes against the Bulls. I mean, we didn't see any of him against the Timberwolves, but he's alleged to have played six minutes. And then he played 32 minutes and scored 17 points and four of eight from the field, two of two from three-point range, seven rebounds, three assists, and a steal against the Thunder. Are you buying or selling? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Talk and talk about another. If he, I mean, we talked about it before, but if he gets cut too, that's another. Right, that's just, the second round pick, gone. Yep. Um, I kind of view it in the in the same uh, prism yeah, as. Actually, that, sorry, that is worth just oh, yeah. circling back to because. There's a possibility. Say if they want to keep Christian Wood, if they want to keep two of Christian Wood, um, Tim Frazier and Shabazz, which I mean they very may well want to do that, and they opt to cut Tyler Zeller and DJ Wilson. That is horsed and horsed specifically, basically tossing away a second round pick and a first round pick. Yikes. Sorry, Jordan. Continue. I kind of view it in the same prism as Shabazz in that there's use in terms of theoretically what they can bring. Zeller is more closer to that than Shabazz is in terms of who he is as a player. But I mean, 
you know, at best he's a third big. He's limited in terms of, I mean, the fact that he, we know that he's capable of hitting down three point shots and stuff like that as last night in terms of playing Brooklyn. But, you know, how much time is he really going to see with, you know, guys like Brooke and Henson ahead of him? We're going to see some four or five combinations with Giannis and Ursan. I don't know. It's, I, it's this whole, I, this whole. <laughs> It's just so stupid. I'm like giving up on it. Yeah, I mean, Zeller will not go off quietly into the night. That's what he's made clear. 17.7 rebounds and two of two from three point range. You know, that's going to get Bud's attention. It's tough. And, you know, I think the biggest challenge in this is that injury he had and the way when he showed, say he was having that great game against the Sixers and then he injured himself in that collision with Joel Embiid and didn't really get to fully make use of his time with the Bucks last year. Showed some very brief positive flashes, but didn't get to really make an impression and have some kind of some money in the bank for this discussion. Instead, he's going in essentially on level footing with the other guys and it's tough it's tough like it is for wood now i think zeller zeller doesn't have the flaws that christian wood has like i I do think christian wood's bad games you'll put him in the game and it could lead to an 8-0 run for another team in a hurry now the flip side of that is his good games are much more likely to give you an 8-0 run than tyler zeller's good games but at the kind of spot we're talking about and considering the game changers the books have in other areas of the roster, do they need that? Is there something to be said for the steady veteran presence who can just do things solidly on both ends? Zeller is definitely a guy who could learn the system and be one of the more important players in executing on both ends and ensuring the team executes. He's had success in that capacity with a couple of different teams and teams in different situations the Celtics under Brad Stevens and Kenny Atkinson's Nets oh that's very difficult all this Jordan maybe I'm wrong on this but it feels like normally we've had a player a player who started preseason be cut by the time that are three quarters of the way through their preseason slate too right Am I right in saying that, or are they generally just... Uh, not really. I mean, that was more like, obvi- at least last year, like, James Young got cut. I don't think he even played a game. Xavier Munford probably was around for, like, one game. Like, it's right, more like I don't, the I don't think Joel Anthony made it to the last game, for example. And I, who else? There was someone else. Um, Brandon Rush. I don't know if he made it to the last game either. I could be wrong on that, and neither of us have that to hand or we're ready for that. So it's my fault for even trying it out there. But I, I just think it's it is very much up in the air. I'm not expecting the you know DeAndre Liggins situation to repeat. Who knows? Who cares? It's all gonna just sort well, itself out. We care. We'll care about it next week. Um any other thoughts? We get into the mailbag. I mean, plenty more questions there, so we we'll probably touch on a lot more. Uh, should we talk, briefly touch on Dante? There's a question in the mailbag, so we okay. can we can get to him there. 
to the mailbag. From the artist formerly known as Sucker Mint, at Ben Rauman, which I mean, Jordan and I aren't impressed, Ben. You know, we know it's your name and all, nothing against your name, but come on. Do you think do you think DJ Wilson deserves a roster spot at this point, or would he just be a sunk cost? Have Wooder Frazier proved enough to be deserving of roster spots over guys like Zeller and Shabazz? I mean, it's almost like you've listened to our last whatever many minutes already. Um, does DJ deserve a roster spot? No. Does he not deserve a roster spot? I don't know. The The thing with this, and I think the definitive thing on DJ is the books are the only people who can make the call on him. If they think there's any potential there for this to come right, any potential, as bad as it looks right now, they've got to give it's him not, the year. It's not even that it's just bad. It's like there's it's, He hasn't had the chance, but that that's but part that's of what also- I'm saying. That's why only they can make the call, because... Well, they have a year's information gathered between, you know, how he was behaving around the team, the work he was doing last year, what happened on his assignments with the herd, all of that stuff. I mean, they've got to put that together and then say, okay, what's he look like coming back from the off season? Um, coming back injured, even minor injury isn't ideal for him. I don't think that helps the whole discussion at the moment, but. I mean, he may well be a sunk cost, but the point, I think the first question Ben asks here feeds into the second question because it is, you know, are those other guys good enough to just say, okay, let's write him off as a sunk cost after one year? And look, at this point, I don't think any of us are optimistic with DJ being really, really, you know, good, being a high-level contributor. Could he be a contributor? I mean, the question is, do they are they taking up his option? If you don't intend to take That's... up his option, then wave him. Yeah. Because if he has a good season, you're not going to be looking to pay him to bring him back anyway. And what is a good season for DJ and how does that like equate to something? So if if the decision is already made that you know there's not enough belief to pick up his third year option, well then I think you've possibly made the decision on waving him. Um, but as I said, that's still, you know, it's easy for us to make those connections, to connect those two dots for John Horst, the decision to waive DJ Wilson is saying something about himself as much as it's saying about DJ Wilson. And I don't think that should be understated in this whole situation. Have Water Frazier proved to be deserving of a roster spot over Zeller and Shabazz? I think it's close to, you know, any one of the... You can make a case right now, I think, for any one of the four guys. Mm. Much less... Uh... Much less Shabazz right yeah, now? probably. Probably. I mean, neither of us felt like that last week, though. So no, we're, we're basing but... we're basing that on two games rather than whatever the 16 games he banked last year and whatever they've seen through the off season. I'm not saying we're wrong to, to say that based on the two games or that that may not be the way the books are thinking, but they may have other things weighing in on the positive side of that. 
I think I think it genuinely that it could be very close all around. And I mean that will be proven to be true if they do look to create an extra roster spot. Whether that's they keep Zeller and they look to bring someone else in, or whether that's Zeller goes, DJ goes, and they want to add two of the remaining three, you know. I... Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, uh... I just feel shades of last year all over again. Uh, It's not. It's not that it matters, and I don't. I think that's a very important uh, distinction. I think a lesson learned for everyone related to the books going through this last year, because the way that it's, it's, it's not. None of these guys are going to really matter. So uh, it is just okay. What is the best use of a fourteenth and fifteenth man? And I think some people will say development potential and that's where christian wood comes in and then there are other people who say you know impact security cover like i think that's the divide i'm kind of falling on the second one because i'm like hey the books are kind of good don't know if you notice the books might be good the last thing i'd want to happen is an injury to come along and them to not have a backup because they're like oh christian wood might just be found money but He's played 20 minutes this year as our fourth choice center. That wouldn't be great to me. But that's really what it boils down to. Um, from Adam G. Olison, how many minutes should Middleton play and should the coaches stagger him and Giannis? Um, they should definitely be staggered. I mean, they're going to play a lot together um, because they're both going to play a lot even with their minutes being reduced probably pretty significantly under but um how many minutes should he play that's that's a tough one i don't think and i said this with Giannis earlier i don't think we're gonna see either of those above 35 36 minutes very often no i at least say hope not <laughs> uh, look i mean that is <laughs> There, I mean, the, a lot of a it... fine balancing act two minutes, right? I mean, 35, 36 is almost a little on the light side, but you're only, you know, an extra three or four minutes away from being really on the heavy side. But I mean, it's also lacking context, too, in that, you know... It depends on the... your depth. Exactly. And they had to rely on Giannis and Middleton to get them out of... I mean, how many blowout victories did the Bucks have last year? Well, that's the point, because even if you have a really good game... Yeah, you can't just have those two guys rest up for the night after thirty or thirty-two minutes because you know you can't trust the bench to keep the lead, even if it's a fifteen-point lead or whatever it might be. So, I think the bench should be better. I think the team as a whole and the coaching staff will make a conscious effort to reduce both Middleton and Giannis minutes. So. Yep. We're not going to see anything like last year replicated. That's no. the given. Um, if the books are good, it could be really low. It could be 30-32 because they're able to you know, get in. This is, funnily enough, what Middleton has been describing their practice as all summer and how he loves it so much is they get in, they do their work, and then they get out. Like, I mean, ideally, that's the way that the books will hope that Middleton will be able to approach games too this season. From at Joe Osterndorf, of the four, 
He has five question mark guys, which I guess is throwing DJ into the mix. Competing for a roster spot, how many would contribute more to wins this season than Jabari would? Look, Joe, you can't let Jabari go. He's just got this deep connection, affection, hate. Bucks, Bucks fan for Jabari. <laughs> um, I don't know. I honestly, I. It's. It's hard to answer that right now because Jabari, <laughs> Jabari, when hashtag Jabari says stuff because he's been saying some stuff in the last day or so, um, mm-hmm. is on that Bulls team. And not only is he going to defend the way, you know, we've seen Jabari defend, he's going to defend so much worse. In a Bucks context, maybe he wouldn't have been as bad. I mean, he certainly could win more games offensively than any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you not think Jabari would contribute more wins than Shabazz Muhammad? I think he would, but I, considering how things went, and I think we said this in the summer, Shabazz seemed a lot less um, hassle and drama free, and you know, nowhere near as much of an elephant in the room. I think the Jabari effect is. The cumulative effect of Jabari is an important factor, and it's hard to compare it just in terms of wins with other individuals. Yeah. I mean, Tyler Zeller is not gonna after game one of the playoffs. <laughs> you're not gonna get Tyler Zeller on the mic, like you know. <laughs> how can I? How can I do this if I don't get minutes? So, yeah, I think that situation is gone. And it should be added to the list of things that we try to avoid talking about at all costs. From at MF Lucas Villain, does a tweener Brogdon help or hurt the books in getting a new deal done? Um, this is interesting. We talked about Brogdon as something of a tweener, if not the last episode, the one before. Must be the last one. The one before was like a year ago. Um, I don't know. I don't know. If he was a more natural fit at either position, I'm sure it's easier for teams, other teams to justify, oh, we're going to throw a big offer sheet his way. Who knows? I mean, his season is really going to decide his contract. Being healthy is important to begin with, but also, you know, what he actually manages to do. Also worth remembering with Brogdon that his... uh, his medical records said to be a little bit troublesome. Obviously, there's plenty that's publicly disclosed where we know he's had injuries dating back to San Virginia, and he's dealt with a number of serious injuries. But there are said to be other question marks that could factor in. But I, I do think he just needs to find his groove and consistently contribute at a high level again. He probably needs to defend better this year knock down the tree ball consistently. If all those things happen, it'll be great for the books and he'll also be more expensive to bring back. So I don't know. I mean, help or hurt. The books need him to be good this year. And if he's good, it's going to hurt them in trying to bring him back and the cost of it. It's, you know, it's the nature of the game really. Yep. Yeah. If you perform well, you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be taken care of financially as a result of it. So uh, that's, 
And he actually might be less of a tweener this year than ever before, because if the books opt to make him the starting shooting guard and he can perform well at that spot, then teams will be able to say, okay, he's a shooting guard. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it is completely natural to him, but if he can get it done, and it might be a very specific fit any... with the books, but that should help him. I, I don't think there's anything natural in terms of like st- strictly like positionally. You know what I mean? With Brogdon, because you could say, oh, yeah, he's a point guard. He's a bulkier point guard who who's very capable. Jordan, in the words of a man who we listen to talk a lot of words, he's a basketball player. <laughs> it's that simple. That's why, they, that's why they drafted him, right? He's a basketball player. He wears the jersey. You know, what the positions matter. From at Applander, give me your 15-man roster. Okay, so we've got Giannis. Well. Chris, Chris Middleton. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not going to name through the whole roster. Um, ugh, Jordan, you go first, because I'm on the fence here. So we're going to flip the tables for a change. Giannis, Middleton. No, 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 no. Just the training Wait, camp what? details. We don't no, need we, to. 15, he said 15, man. <laughs> Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, Rogdon, Brooke, Urson, Henson, Sterling, Snell, who am I forgetting? Dante. Dante. Belly. Belly. Don. Don, yeah. Are you even oh, Planet Pat. Planet Pat. Goes out saying. Uh, I said it twice, so he counts as 13. Two. Just get a clone of him. Um, <laughs> who am I missing? Are we I'm... down to the? Are we down to the? I assumed you were keeping count as you were listing them off because I don't know. This is an unnecessary exercise. The question is basically <laughs> who is going and who is coming in. That's the question. Uh, I already hate this. I think, <laughs> oh my god. I'm gonna go Wood and Fraser. So DJ's gone. DJ's gone. Zell gets the. Pfft. Pfft. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that noise is. Maybe Jeez. it's like this. Yeah. Why? Zelly's galley. <laughs> you make me uh, want to pick Zeller just to you know save him from <laughs> whatever fate that may be. Um, it sounds like a squirt gun. Someone it really does. It sounds like he was just put out of his misery. Oh, um, I didn't mean that. So it sounded like I'm gonna say Tim Frazier. I'm gonna say Tim Frazier. That's it. Zeller out. Tim Frazier. I'm struggling to see. Unless a deal arises where they can get even a second round pick back, John Horse pulled the trigger on that. And honestly, there is part of me that is just reluctant for the books to do that right now after one season. Because the four players in question aren't, you know, this isn't some sort of elite talent, some elite potential you're bringing in where it's just worth saying. Let's completely give up on the guy who we used the 17th overall pick on a year ago. That may be after the fact the pick is spent. I get that. Um, What I will say and what I've said already is if 
they're not picking up his option, which they probably shouldn't. But it's another big call for Horst. If they don't pick up his option, well, then you get rid of him now because you're not... Otherwise, he's just keeping a seat warm. And in that case... I go Shabazz. I just... I'm not seeing... We're, we're trying to talk about the books as this modernized team, this very different team offensively, also defensively, I guess. They have three centers on the roster already, plus Giannis, plus Ursa. You know, we should be looking for more opportunities for Ursa to play the five mm-hmm. rather than bringing someone else in who either will just take a spot without minutes or will mean that our son can only play the four. You're like you're instantly cutting into the most interesting and possibly most dangerous options you can put out there. So I would rather another more traditional forward. In this case, it's Shabazz. I mean, I was a Shabazz believer coming into this. His preseason so far has yeah, um, but he is the option in front of me, so I'll go with him. Tim Frazier is the guy who right now I feel most confident about in terms of what he's shown and also what he could contribute across the season. Christian Wood has shown some really great stuff. I just don't know where the path comes to for him to offer anything of that caliber further down the line, but just to get on the floor and get the chance to do so in the first place, even that's tricky business for him. From Joe Osterndorf again, what are your expectations from Delhi this season? Should Bledsoe and Brogdon be staggered to avoid having to play him? Joe really has his favorites. Um, I don't know. My expectations for Delhi are sadly, and we kind of touched on this, I feel like injuries are going to be an issue again. Yeah. If they aren't, I'd actually be optimistic. And I just think I've been optimistic (laughs) at every juncture where a question like this will come up since Delvadova arrived in Milwaukee. Um, But he is someone who technically should mesh very well with Coach Bud and with the principles and be a real driver of that on the floor. I'm not saying he's the person who necessarily um, makes all of the killer passes and knocks down all of the decisive trees by any means, but we actually saw last year with a horribly disorganized floundering books offense. Delhi was still often the guy who was able to kind of direct it, pull it to go together with some coherency. He just wasn't healthy often enough. And then when he was, there were other areas that were negating the benefit from having him do that. So it's tricky. I think that is part of the reason, again, why Tim Frazier is looking pretty good right now. You know, I think that would be a, certainly be a good option to have because he should do a lot of the things Delhi could do. And look, let's be real about it. Delhi's contract is starting to wind down, and he is certainly someone that, if the opportunity presented itself, you look to get off at the first available opportunity. Okay. So, I I be looking at other alternatives and starting to plan for that. Um, from Joe again, should the book send out guys like De Vincenzo? He's already making his decisions on DiVincenzo here um, are Brown to guard opposing point guards and have Chris or Giannis initiate offense um, I think this might be in second units because he has it kind of tied to the other question 
Uh, DiVincenzo? No. I don't want to see that. I mean, maybe he can be good at that, but he's a rookie. And I don't think he can be good at that. Um, Sterling showed as a rookie to be pretty special in that regard and maybe someone that you would try that with. But I think there are avenues where the books could be more traditional still. But that is an option for sure. And I mean, I like to think about the five wing lineups that the books could put out this year where you could be doing that. You could have Sterling pick up opposing point guards where you put Giannis, Middleton, Snell, Brogdon, whoever. Connaughton out there? Something like that? <laughs> um, yeah. that, that piqued your interest, Jordan? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's some fun things like that that they may not work, but I think Bud will experiment with them as well at some point. Yeah, I we'll see. We'll see. Uh, part of that question is if I guess if Tim Frazier ends up on the roster, we'll start to get a sense of how the books might feel about Delhi too. Um from at L Mituation, if the books win their first playoff game, will be will we be allowed to chant books in four or will we have to settle for six? I think the rule here should really be that it's gotta be six until they win a series. <laughs> you know, it's six, doesn't matter what way it's looking. I mean, if they get to a point where they've won a series again, then we can rethink all of these sad chants that we're rooted in. Just, you know, we have no real chance, but let's pretend we do anyway. Hashtag sad chant. (laughs) If the Bucks can win in six, good podcast, then they can win in four, five, six, seven. It doesn't matter. You know, get a series out of the way and then we can worry about what chant comes next. From at Ridgeway underscore nut, which players are, are on the bubble and who do you believe makes the final spots? We touched on the final spots. I mean, on the bubble, is there anyone other than DJ? I guess if someone wants to take John Henson or Delhi. Snell. Or Snell, very much so. And Snell might be the guy who there would be a team willing to take him. Um, That would be pretty brave of them right now. Yeah, I I think it's DJ Wilson, realistically. I mean, the chances are they won't even find a trade for him because what team doesn't have <laughs> what team doesn't have training camp guys in that are already as proven, more proven? Get traded. <laughs> I can see DJ Wilson being traded. Like there's just I don't know. There's back end deals that are gonna Jarell be done. Martin is better than DJ Wilson, Jordan. Not by much though. Who cares? It, that's the thing. We're <laughs> who talking cares? about all these 29 other GMs. That's who cares. Um, <sighs> from a beer nut gallery, what factors would prevent Christian Wood from making this roster? I think we've kind of laid them out. Yeah. Um, he does have a reputation. I mean, that's the only reason why it hasn't worked. He's a guy with elite physical measurements, elite physical tools, a good feel for the game. Um, there is a tweener question with him, and it's become less of a question in time, but also remains a problem because of, as we touched on, he's kind of filling out to where, in today's NBA, he's a center. Yet, I don't know if he has the ideal center skills. Some of the things he can do as a four are interesting. What would prevent him? I mean, where are the minutes? 
where are the minutes and if you don't have minutes what is the real upside of taking the risk on him I, I, I'm actually curious if anyone has any thoughts on that send them to us um, tweet them either to win at six podcast or either myself or Jordan or if you don't have a Twitter you can email us at win at six podcast at gmail.com I, I am curious as to what the path is for Christian Wood. We had an article, Scott from Portal, uh, one of our contributors wrote on the site, um, pretty good article uh, on the whole, I thought, about kind of laying out that case. But it is kind of on, you know, if everything clicks, he could be the backup center. I I do struggle personally to see him become the primary backup. I think Henson is going to be in good position for that. And if it's not Henson, I don't know why Wood would jump Ton. Ton isn't DJ Wilson, right? We For all the frustrations we have with Ton, he has shown moments that are incredibly impressive. Moments that make you think, oh, he but could I think be really important. I think, him and, I think him and Wood are a very apt comparison. Because oh, yeah. They, I think they are in a lot of ways, but I mean... Is there a reason to invest in Wood over Ton at this point? I don't think so. I mean, the question marks against Wood are arguably some of Ton's greatest strengths as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So, I mean, if we're talking about the profile of, you know, which personality type, and that's not fair, that's very much devoid of actually kind of seeing them in the now players get reputations from their college days that they managed to shake off, but unfortunately stick with them. But if you were to bet on, you know, which kind of guy comes out on top, it would generally be more of the character that has become associated with Tom than at least what Wood's reputation has been over the years. Yeah. Um, from a Jace Bamber, what's with Pat Connaughton's hair? Jordan, I think you're official spokesman on this. What is with the hair? I mean, we touched on it, but have you got reasoning for it? Have you got justification for it? I don't know. You gotta you gotta brighten up. The winters get cold and and dreary. You gotta brighten up with that. <laughs> I feel like he did that once before in Portland, right? I don't think this is I the first know. time he's had this haircut. To be honest, I don't remember. I know he had like a kind of like a. He had like the long hair, like I think when he got drafted or something like that. I don't know. He's a guy who is, you know, he's destined to be. Planet like, Pack goes by the beat of his own drum. He needs thirty-five-year-old Mike Miller hair. He, you yeah. know, like Grizzly yeah, Mike Miller hair. I, I, <laughs> I think that's the best version of Pat Connaughton will come when he finally commits to that. Um. What color shoes? I can't believe we've just talked about that. What color shoes will Yanis wear on opening night? It's also from Jay. Some color that's either orange or pink, depending on your perspective. That seems to be what like 90% of the players are wearing. Speaking of, this is unrelated, but have you seen the new Puma shoes? I know DeAndre Aiden. I actually haven't, but their shoes are always great. I'm not talking basketball shoes, I'm talking like just their they're casual regular wear, shoes. regular yeah. shoes. Um, I own a lot of pairs and they are they're always they always look really good. So do they look good or have I now sent this the wrong I was way? Kind of surprised. They... I was kind of surprised. I was in a good way. What like, is the surprise with that, by the way? Is that it's well, just it's for, it's always the first... the are they not a brand in 
I remember I was in Florida, right? And I mean, Florida can be a different kind of place at times. Many years ago, but there was a big, there's a big Puma store, and I got some really nice pairs of Puma trainers. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I'm not they're, saying they're that, a big not... enough brand here. So I, I don't know. The whole thing is interesting. The perception of it, I kind of went, oh, that makes sense, and it's an interesting play. But yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say that they're a disrespected brand, but they are certainly lower on the on the totem pole. They're just not Nike or Adidas. It's basically yeah, or Under Armour, in that sense yeah. too. I mean, you know, just, just yeah. landed Joel and beat. Um, Congratulations! <laughs> if you're listening, Under Armour, I mean, we're looking for sponsors. Why did Bledsoe wear a headband on Media Day only to never wear it again? I do not know, and I I was into headband Bledsoe. I thought that might have been a thing. Maybe it can be. Maybe he can just break it out for special occasions. Maybe he can't wear it in the preseason because it's not real. Maybe he wore it in Iowa. Oh, that would... Mm. Someone needs to check in with Matt Velasquez and find yeah. out <laughs> if Eric Bledsoe wore a headband in Iowa. Um, again, from Jay, what, what do you think of DiVincenzo's pregame dancing? It might be my favorite Dante DiVincenzo thing at the moment. I think it works. It gets the, the whole, he commits to it. Again, Jordan, commit to the bit. I think that's, that's what we're saying today. And he commits to it and he gets guys laughing. And that's really all that matters. That was also Rashad Vaughn's greatest strength. Not to, not to draw a true line between, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know. Um, but he certainly started very positively on that front. Everyone seems to enjoy when he does it. And yeah, he's committed to it. I mean, is, uh, we expect it to be good. No, but he's committed. Um, and Jay's last question is John Horse man enough to pull the band aid on DJ Wilson? Well, that is the question. I don't even think it's man enough because that's easy for everyone else to say. He's, he's exposing himself to a lot of responsibility, a lot of liability. If he doesn't, maybe more. I don't know what this says about the NBA. Maybe more than if he lets DJ hang around and be nothing for a couple of years. The next question from at C Freeman six. How much can the difference in coaching, both system and rotation, impact the close games between other strong teams like the 76ers, Celtics, Rockets, etc.? A lot. I mean, very difficult to quantify it right now, but it should be a colossal difference. I'm also very interested, though, in how the Bucks play against the bad teams. And, you know, this is good teams make a habit of just playing bad teams off the court, just beating up on them and picking up their easy wins. Bucks weren't that bad on that front last year, but they still have room to get better. They weren't. I only looked at the numbers recently. They were much better than I thought they were. Um, yeah. But, they'll, they'll but lost, teams, teams at the top of the conference will only lose, like, three games a year against... Bottom feeder teams. Yeah. I mean, and the books aren't at that level. And if they can get to that level, well, then it's like, okay, well, can you go 500, maybe even 450 against the league's best teams? Because if you win those other games, you're going to be very well placed. So um, I wouldn't just narrow it down to the kind of better teams. It should certainly help the books to be competitive in those games. But if you can help them to beat the really bad teams too, I mean, that's. 
that's kind of a key part of padding your record that they haven't always been able to take advantage of. From a divine underscore 24, through a few preseason games, has Dante exceeded your low expectations? He is low on brackets. He remembers our draft night conversations. I think I was tweeting with Dan on draft night about it. He was trying to get me on board the the Dante. I don't know. I can't think of a word for a train beginning with a D. The Dante Express, though, I'm I'm not there. I'm not encouraged, and I will say that's purely because of the shooting. The shooting doesn't only, you know, it's it's not only that he's missing the shots. His shot is not looking any better from game to game, and that wasn't what we were expecting to be an issue at all. Um, on the positive side, in spite of, was he one of 12 against the Bulls? One of nine. One of nine. I was pretty impressed with him being able to come up with seven rebounds and six assists in that game. If he can do that sort of thing, great, but he's going to need to make some shots. Um, He hasn't necessarily been able to make the same impact on the glass or passing since. Um, In the two games since, he's actually only had seven rebounds in 45 minutes and one assist. So very much different to what we saw in that Bulls game, which again... Says some things about the Bulls. Um, I'm not all that encouraged. I don't. I don't think it's possible. Has he exceeded anyone's expectations so far? No. He. I. I mean, to his credit, I will give him that he does have these kind of other moments of, you know, he he does regularly track back on the boards. Uh, his assists, like he is capable of facilitating stuff like that, but just the shooting, not even just the shooting from three. I mean, he had a lot of good looks at the basket last night and they didn't go down. And I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's, it's just a big jumbled mess for me currently. And that's to be expected in terms of it's preseason. You're trying to find your footing, but I mean, if you're already pessimistic about what Dante could be uh, through three preseason games, two of them televised, I'm sure uh, a lot of Bucks fans are not really uh, uh, pleased with how everything is going with him so far. I don't know. I mean, he's as game as can be. You know, he's really going to go and compete. They're the things that were obviously spoken about, and they may well prove essential if he is to figure it all out and things are to click into place. I think the other thing we'd say is like not true for every player, but but it's given him lots of opportunity and has trusted in him. And he was first sub off the bench against the Bulls, right? I believe so. Um, so maybe they're going to give him real chances, and that would be something even that we were just so unaccustomed to with rookies um, under Jason Kidd, Brogdon is a very obvious exception to that because he just, I mean, forced his way in and the books didn't have other options, really. But it would be interesting to see if he gets a real role in the rotation and what he can make of that or if he can find a way to make an impact on the court that's positive. But the shooting is particularly troubling. I mean, when, I mean, anyone who was arguing for Dante, their primary argument was about him as a shooter and a scorer. Yep. And 
yikes so far and it, you know small sample size but we also have the couple of games in one game couple of games no it was, it was two games. Two. um in summer league there is kind it's of a building like, it's not like he is like adjusting to the three-point line like he he had long range at villanova last year Right, but look, and I don't want to go back to this. He was never the greatest shooter. This is yeah, he was streaking. It was never true. This was part of my problem with Dante before the books drafted when we were assessing him as a prospect. You're like, I, I, I hate to have to bring this up, but it is Rashad Vaughn-esque. He obviously has a much more proven pedigree, so you can point it out and feel more confident. But the type of shooter, the type of score, he's not, for example, Kevin Herter, right? No, yeah, it's you're not talking this sharpshooter who's developed this kind of really sweet stroke, and you're going to say, okay, this guy is going to play purely off ball. If we'll find him in the corner, he'll make a shot. You know, he doesn't project to be that guy in the NBA. He wasn't that guy in college. He needs the ball. He needs to do more with it. And if you're giving him the ball, he's going to make a pay. And right now, he's not. Now that doesn't matter. This is preseason, but. Certainly not the kind of encouragement that I would have liked to see at this point. Um, certainly hasn't exceeded expectations. But maybe personally, at a reflection of my own opinion of that pick, I don't think it's fallen below expectations either. Dante is kind of being what I expected him to be. Maybe could have shot a bit better, but I think overall, I wasn't expecting Dante to look like oh, wow, this guy's got to be sixth man on opening night. You know, you've got to give him a lot of minutes right away. That wasn't remotely in my head. Um, also from Dan, all of the book starters not named Yanis are free agents next year. And he tossed on who is the most least replaceable, most slash least replaceable, that is, or how you would handle the situation if you were horsed. Um. It's- Least replaceable is Middleton because if the Bucks lose a twenty point per game score, who fits the system is happy embracing a secondary role. You know, we could go on and on. If they lose that kind of player, the kind of money it will cost to bring someone in to replace them will be astronomical, and it will likely bring them into a caliber of player that they will struggle to attract to Milwaukee. Do you agree with Middleton on that, or am I? No, I, pretty safely, too. Like um, we mentioned this last week, even people who aren't keen on Middleton, I think we have a mailbag question coming up from someone who fits that description very shortly. I think the books are probably best served keeping Middleton and looking to trade him on the next contract at this point. If you want to kind of look at finding ways to continue to improve the roster, I don't... Letting Middleton go doesn't have any real benefit to the books. I mean, keeping him at a minimum, you have Chris Middleton, really good player, borderline all-star, fits everything perfectly. Um, Or you could have someone who is good enough that, you know, a big star wants away, which I don't know if you've noticed, it happens. It happens in very dramatic ways, it seems. Well, you've got an interesting piece that a team will go, okay, that guy's really good now. Maybe he could be a centerpiece of a deal like that. So I think he's least replaceable. Most replaceable. That's difficult. That's so. Is he, though? 
I don't think he's most replaceable. I just don't want the books to pay his next contract. I think he is replaceable. Hmm. I'm inclined to go that way. I mean, I feel like if the books could get Brook Lopez back at the same price next year, and this is ridiculous because we're saying this before he's played one regular season minute even, but it, it would seem like that would be a good deal. I mean, it's hard to imagine how that would be a bad thing all of a sudden. Brogdon, once you get to wings, wings are expensive, and they're trying to make him a wing. And Snell isn't all that encouraging. It could be Brogdon if Sterling Brown developed really nicely this year. Uh, but I even mean, if Sterling... If Sterling developed really nicely, I guess you could bring Brogdon back to being a point guard and a sixth man, and that would have a lot of value in its own right. Uh, I guess his versatility. The thing that we talk about being a tweener is also of value in that he has a well-rounded skill set for the books. Yeah, maybe you're right. It probably is Bledsoe. I'm not so sure they'd easily replace him either, though. Um, from a, at a Tunderman Rankum, Vaughn, Alexander, and Wilson. And who completes the books bus throughout Mount Rushmore? Yeah. I, <laughs> that's a pretty safe call, probably. <laughs> I mean, certainly of the modern era. Um, and to be fair, most of the books really bad picks are in the modern era. era. Um, although Kent Benson didn't work out all that great. Never really recovered from, from a Korean punch in his very first game. Um, I mean, Joe Alexander is the worst, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he was out one season after two years, one and a half seasons. Well, he got Delta Chicago and, they never really do anything there. Did he play there? He played like a handful of games, if I remember correctly. I felt like he got dealt and didn't really play. He played eight games. I mean, he did. He basically handful, didn't play. A certified handful. He he was drafted eight overall, if I remember correctly, and he played sixty-seven total games in his career at the NBA. This could be more than DJ Wilson. <laughs> DJ was drafted 17th, which... That's, that's still not that good. <laughs> it's not good. That's an important distinction. A top 10 pick playing 67 games and being out of the league in like 14 months? Completely insane. Who would... There has to be someone equals that. <laughs> I'm all ears. I don't know. Odin? No. Nowhere near that. Plus, Odin was good. Well, I'm not. Oh no, I'm. I'm not you saying know? that. Joe I'm Alexander t- isn't the tragic case where injury, like 105 games for Odin. So he he played he played 82 games across his first two seasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he is the fourth on that. If you want to learn more about the whole. Yeah, fair. There's a good article that appeared on a good website very recently. I wrote it, and it's on behindthebookpass.com. <laughs> lastly, from a David Dunn 21. Who will be the books? When I say lastly, this is the last person, Jordan, but he's got multiple <laughs> questions. 
Who will be the book's crunch time killer assassin guy? Will we simply clear out for Yanis as we did successfully last year? Or, in your opinion, is Bud more of a run a fancy play in crunch time coach? Um, I think both of these things can be true. I don't think they'll just clear out for Yanis. They will look to get Yanis shots, but they will do things like move. <laughs> you know, moving can help with that rather than standing static in the same spots and not creating space. I think they will look to create space. Um, without doing anything fancy, and to answer that, at least in the past, Bud had a very strong reputation for his after timeout plays. Um, it was something some of them already. It was something he was really good at. But what I was going to give him as an example, not necessarily fancy. He just got the ball into Tim Frazier and made sure he had some space to get a shot off to tie the game since overtime. Yeah. You know, he called the timeout with four seconds left. They're down three. They make a three. They go to overtime. That's pretty and promising. There was. I'm trying to remember how much was on the shot clock too. Or, or no, the shot clock was dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you may see other guys get shots because there may. It's look. It's going to depend on the situation. It's going to depend on the type of shot. But quality shot creation will be the key. I would still think Giannis will get the chance to do most of it. But the difference will be they will run plays for him. Or if it's Middleton, they will run plays. I don't think the goal will be, you know, let's just give you the ball. Let's not move or try to set any screens, anything that might give you the space to get this shot off and hope you make it. I think we'll see a concerted effort. Lastly, and unsurprisingly, David on 21 has gone to the Jersey conversation. Are the streets in Milwaukee ready for a gray or yellow Jersey? It, I do believe it is gray, um, the city. I thought jersey. it was yellow. I there be- was something I was going to... I believe saw... it's gray. Oh, God. I don't care. Yeah, but gray is... Pre- I mean... I don't um... care. I'll care at the time. I don't care now. What that's will make I, me that's care... How that's how I was going to view this <laughs> roster spot battle. <laughs> What will make me care and may result in like an hour-long rant is if it's the Fear the Deer jersey, but grey, or yellow for that matter, if it's the Fear the Deer jersey, just in a different colour. The why are they keeping the Fear the Deer jersey still? Change it up. It is not a core uniform. That's the only that's the only uniform take that's gonna get me heated up is the Sounds fear. like you care down. No, I I, I cared <laughs> I cared then, and I still care about the fear of the deer one and the court. The court is a different FTD. issue. The slogan's even gone, and they've kept the jersey. The slogan's not gone. It's going to be, they're going to break it out for playoffs. That's not the same as it being there year round. You know, built to stay, Jordan. BTS behind the scenes. That does it for us. Is it BTS like a Korean pop band or something? I keep seeing that. I'll take your word for it. I have no idea. Going, it's going back to the pack on something. BTS is a K-pop thing. BTS <laughs> built a stand. We'll be back sometime soon. Um, who knows what we have in store? I've got some ideas that I won't commit to because who knows the schedules will. Allow... Thanks for saying it, Jordan. Um, well, uh... Who knows if schedules will allow? There are some things we normally do year to year that we haven't got in yet, and. 
we're going to be up against the clock to get in, so I don't know, but we'll see. Um, ear to the ground on that one, people. <laughs> and regardless, we will be back soon. I would guess before the books officially tip off their regular season on Wednesday night, right? Against the Pacers? Hornets? Mm-hmm. Sorry, oh, Hornets. Hornets. Hornets yeah. um, and yeah, we'll, I'm sure, have a resolution to the cliffhanger roster spot question and who knows what else we'll have until then thanks to all of you for listening thanks as always make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts follow us on SoundCloud as on Stitcher and favorites on TuneIn Radio that way you'll make sure you never miss an episode of Win 6 you can also follow us on Twitter at Win and Six Podcast. And importantly, make sure you're checking out all of mine, Jordan, and the rest of the team's writing on BehindTheBookPass.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.